Somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from as Lutz Tradamus. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. He's been a Wildcat and a Jayhawk, along with being a governor, a senator, and an ambassador, Sam Brownback. She's a concerned woman who's now live 24-7, Sandy Rios. Funny man and sketch artist, John Crist. And in the spotlight, Ann Wilson. And now, live from Times Square, where six of the Supreme Court justices went for a happy hour on Friday, here's that Kevin! Yeah, welcome in, friends. It was a great, great week. If you are someone who loves common sense, if you're someone who wants, I don't know, a little bit of this kind of crazy, out-of-control court stuff to, to be brought, to be reined in a little bit, this was the week for you. There was no better outcome than the final four or five cases that the uh, Supreme Court handed down this week. And I think it's really a turning point. In fact... As we are heading into the uh, the campaign season, and you know that people are going to continue to talk about uh, the candidates, and, and there's going to be more and more speculation about whether or not former President Trump can uh, can mount the the you know burden that he needs to to get past all of his court cases and and be able to campaign rigorously and get out there. I mean, obviously, none of this stuff is hurting him with the polls because he's doing fine. But uh, the other side is is having a, a bad time. Oh, I was going to say, and so one of the justifications for why President Trump should be out there banging the drum every single day, he should be bragging about this last week at the Supreme Court because it was his court that delivered the affirmative action, college tuition, religious liberty wins that all came down uh, in the last uh, few days. Welcome to the weekend. Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us. Speaking of campaigning, did you see the other guy over on MSNBC? And I'm going to be down there congratulating him. I said I'd be a president for every American, whether they voted for me or not. Well, and, and the ones that didn't vote for your bills, but run on them. That's, That's right. <laughs> Mr. President, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it's great it. To have you. Thank, you, to thank have you. you. Thank you. Thank you. And then he gets up and kind of, he gets up and he kind of weirdly walks off the TV set. I I felt bad for the poor news anchor. She didn't know what to do. Where's he going? Uh, Why why is he getting up? Uh, We're not done yet, Mr. President. Wait till the camera goes to break. (laughs) You, You could feel the anxiety welling up within her, but she was a professional. She kept looking at the camera, giving it uh, eye contact, doing what she needed to be. She had doing what she needed to do to be a serious news anchor for MSNBC. Anyway, um, yes, so how big were these wins? Well, when you consider that between Roe v. Wade of, of the last judicial season 
and the affirmative action ruling, the two wins this week on spectacularly important religious liberty issues. Um, both the the case of the of the man who was being prevented from it was going to be fired from his job for worshiping on a day uh, in his in his faith worshiping on a day when the uh, post office wanted him to work, and he said no that that violates my my deeply held sincere religious belief that I have been practicing since I was a little kid. Uh, this is this is this is how you repay him, and the Supreme Court said nope, you can't do that. If he's willing to work the other six days of the week, um, and this is the accommodation in order to observe his faith, then you need to do that. And the uh, the court was very clear in that. The other religious liberty win, and this is huge. For years, I have been predicting that soon in the Supreme Court, there were going to be these two head-on-head um, -head locomotives that were just coming at each other. And there, there was there was nothing going to break the 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 speed. And what was going to happen was at some point one of them was going to bounce the other one off the track. And these would be the two groups: all of the people that have been seeking sincere practice of their faith as it regards to sexual immorality and what makes up proper sexual practice according to their faith. All the faiths, by the way, address sexual practice. Judaism, uh, Islam, uh, Christianity—they—they all—they all say there, there are forms of sex that are moral, and there are forms of sex that are immoral. It is a very recent notion by only a very small portion of people that believe that there's no rules at all to sex; that there's there's nothing, there's no moral guidance on it at all. And one of those groups that holds that belief are the, all of the LGBTQ people. They, they, they think, ah, there's no rules here. We can just do whatever we want. And nobody's really keeping them from doing whatever they want. But the problem was they didn't just want to do what they wanted. They wanted to put what they believed on everybody else and make everybody else act as though they believe it too. This is why they've been working the court systems and manipulating the laws and making the case for all these years that they have to be allowed to not just do what they want to do with whoever they want to do it with, they have to they have to make sure that you like it and that you say out loud that you're you you approve of it. So whether it's adultery or lesbianism or transgenderism or whatever, this is this is how this is how that group of people have been approaching that subject for the last couple of decades. And I've been saying these two forces are gonna meet head on at some point, and they did in the Supreme Court this year this year, and they decided on it uh, just to, just yesterday. Uh, day before yesterday, and it's this: between the choice of letting people do sexually whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, with whoever they want to do it, giving them preference over people that practice sincere faith and have for decades and centuries, that when those two things are in conflict, right now the tie is going to go to the people that practice faith, which is basically how our founders drew up our founding documents. That the practice, the free practice of one's faith is something that cannot be infringed upon, limited, et cetera, et cetera. And even though this group that wants to do whatever they want to do with whoever they want to do it, whenever they want, even mutilate their own body in the process, that that part of life is not part of the founding principles of the, of the country. No one's telling them they can't do whatever they want to do, but it's not a founding principle. 
the right to free speech, the right to assembly, the right to practice your faith. These things are core principles. And the, and the court found it that way this, this week. So what does that mean? In the case that they heard directly, a woman that uh, is a fantastic creative designer uh, will not be forced to build websites for people that do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, etc. And the three minority, uh, the, the 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 three that voted against that decision, that that countered that decision in the Supreme Court, just went ballistic. I mean, they literally had fireballs shooting out of their ear earlobes and uh, eye sockets. They were so angry about this. And you you have to ask yourself on some level, why does it? What? Why are they that been out of shape about it? Does the practice of religion really mess people up that badly? Evidently, it does. Take a listen to what uh, Governor Sarah Huckabee in Arkansas has been Kids dealing with. During the pandemic, learned that if you put painter's tape down, you can create a pretty unbelievable mosaic using sidewalk chalk. And they did uh, an absolutely stunning mosaic with a cross in the center at the front entrance to the governor's mansion this week. And an out-of-control leftist group demanded that I erase the cross from the entrance of the governor's mansion and delete my social media posts. I have a Wow. Very simple response for them. Absolutely not. Not only will I not erase it, uh, I'm, I may see if we can uh, put them all over the sidewalks and, and get my kids to make even more of them because it is insane to think that this group could tell my kids that they can't put artwork out in front of the governor's mansion celebrating their Christian faith. When you think about it, everything that uh, Governor Huckabee just said there is truly unfathomable that some group of people are so offended by the fact that her children have a faith. Remember, faith is a, is a founding principle, building block of our, of our system. But this group so insanely angry that her children have a faith that they demanded that the governor pick up the chalk drawing off of the sidewalk and forbid it from being drawn. Any. I'm with Sarah on this. Draw more of them. Draw them everywhere. Get that, get that tape, get those chalks, <laughs> make those mosaics, and have fun with it. Kevin McCullough coming right back. I knew it. Uh, come on, Kev. What's a few classified documents between friends? I told you. I told you all the time. I knew it. I knew he had some, too. Here he is. That Kevin. Kevin McCullough. My next guest is someone that I came to have great admiration for when he was a, a governor of a Midwestern state many, many, many years ago. In fact, it's been over 20 years, I think, since that uh, was the case. Uh, he ran for president. Uh, I loved talking to him on my show at that time, and he's done a lot of really good work in recent years uh, for the Trump administration on religious liberty on the global scale. And uh, there's even a, a fun little uh, anecdote that he, he might remember, he might not, that uh, he, his name was used to uh, help propose to my wife <laughs> many years ago uh, <laughs> under a very false uh, pretense 
Uh, I, I, I need to hear this story. I haven't well, heard this. Well, uh, former Senator Ambassador Sam Brownback, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Kevin. A pleasure. That yeah. I so my, my bride and I did did relay this to you a number of, and I'll tell the short version, but she was working for Salem headquarters out in Camarillo. Um, David Spady was the political liaison there at the time. And um, I had arranged this top secret engagement harebrained scheme. I was coming from Chicago flying out there. But the pretense was that um, that she was going to carry a check on behalf of the political action committee to a very important dinner in which Senator Sam Brownback was going to be in attendance. And so the, the, the envelope actually had your name on it. Uh, and that's what she walked into when she walked into <laughs> just me at a table with a big pile of roses and eventually a ring that was unveiled. So thank you for your unknowing support of my early nuptials. <laughs> well, I hope it's been a very fruitful, good marriage. 20 years this year, actually. So we're there we're you very... go. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Um, Ambassador, it's great to see you again. Um, I know that you in the Trump years were focused on religious liberties. Um, my very good friends at Christian Solidarity have been very concerned about the situation with the Armenians that are somewhat uh, encased in the Azerbaijan region. We'll get to that in a second. But from your days in the religious liberty arena, and it's always been a passion of yours, what are we seeing globally from where you sit as it is on planet Earth right now? You know, we're seeing a huge amount of persecution. We're seeing the most Christian persecution in the history of the faith. The history of Christendom is taking place right now. It's got a lot of different varieties of it, from people being killed to really a lot more subtle uh, forms taking place. Uh, but it's just at a record level. And uh, yet at the same time, we've got kind of this uh, uh, growing interest, support for religious freedom as a fundamental human right. And even for many of us, the cornerstone human right, if they can get this one right, you can build the rest of your human rights uh, doctrine off of it. Mm. So, you know, I think it's it's one of those situations where you just really have a tough situation, but there's now kind of the, the cavalry starting to come together and charge the hill. Well, one of the things that my listeners and viewers have been very familiar with is that we've been liberating enslaved people from northern Sudan with Christian solidarity for a number of years, but they're active in a number of other countries uh, and I'm curious, as you were on this issue, and I think during the Trump administration that Secretary of State and former CIA Director uh, Mike Pompeo was also very, um, very, very warm on this issue, if not hot in terms of its importance. Um, how would you, A, B, compare the Trump years to what the Biden team is now doing? The, the Trump years were kind of the launch of religious freedom being a cornerstone human rights and a cornerstone foreign policy issue from being kind of a boutique issue that, okay, some Christians are interested in it, but it's not a mainstream foreign policy issue. It's now gone mainstream at least for conservatives and people in the Republican side. And, and more and more people are seeing that it's the, the root um, way to prevent genocide most genocides are of religious minorities. Mm. And so if you have religious freedom, pluralism, the protection of religious rights uh, for everybody all the time, it prevents genocide. And where you don't have it, you get crimes against humanity and genocide. So we've really made some real progress there. Unfortunately, on the Democrat side, they're for religious freedom, but it's kind of one of a whole bunch of human rights. And it doesn't have any special place uh, for anybody. So this was a cornerstone issue for the Trump years. 
and not so much so for the Biden. They're, they're kind of more concerned with uh, equal protection of pronouns now, as opposed to uh, religious liberties. And I think They've that it is a whole bunch of them. Yeah, <laughs> lots of pronouns. Um, well, and here's the thing, um, Ambassador. the The issue is that if you come from a political worldview, forget the word political. If you just come from a worldview that does not embrace the imago day of the human being, the inherent goodness of faith in God and just the, the potential for what that means to the human experience, if it's not a priority to you, then being persecuted for it kind of just falls on dead nerve endings, doesn't it? I, I wouldn't say it falls on dead nerve endings, but it just becomes a lesser issue to you. Uh, it's significant because somebody's being persecuted, uh, that the Uyghurs are being persecuted by the Chinese has a multiple set of foreign policy implications and practical uh, impact on people. And so the Biden administration supported the genocide determination that Secretary Pompeo had made. But it's not kind of like the centerpiece that, that you go at. And to understand communist China, you got to remember they are at war with all faiths because right. religion is the one institution that can actually stand up to a government. And they don't want that. And they saw the Soviet Union be taken down by religious people generally or by a religion, whether it's the, the Catholics in Poland or the refused Nixon in Russia. Uh, so they they read the play, last playbook, and they're not going to fall for that one. And so they're at war with all faiths. So to understand really the Chinese worldview right now, the Chinese communist worldview, you have to understand their antipathy for religion. Right. Um, you just returned from a fact-finding mission, and just yesterday you uh, reported back to a congressional uh, meeting of some sort. I'll, I'll have you classify the meeting in a second. But the um, when you went to Armenia and you met with people concerning what some of their folks are facing in Azerbaijan, what was what did you what did you discover? What were your eyes open to? They think a genocide is setting up in uh, Armenia, and particularly for the people of Nagorno-Karabakh that are Armenian Christians, and they think it's going to be the second Armenian genocide after the 1915 one that killed 1.5 million Armenian Christians by the Ottoman Muslim Turks. Uh, they, Same they, people they're at war with, or that, that are at war with them now. The apple hadn't fallen far from the tree. And my experience in foreign policy and around people is that that history is kind of the roots and the legacy of what you're going to see today in the tree. Hmm. Um, and you just, that same hatred, that same dismay, that same different people here that we don't want here. That's what's happening in Nagorno-Karabakh to about 120,000 Armenian Christians that they've got blockaded right now, Azerbaijan does, with the backing of Turkey and the allowance of Russia. Russia is allowing this to happen. They've been historically the protectors. They're not protecting it. And the Azeris are just trying to squeeze them out. And that's when what's we to take place. When we come back, I want to ask you what is being done about this on the national and international scale, and then also ask you what we can do as individuals. We're speaking with Ambassador Sam Brownback, who served as the Ambassador for Religious Freedom under the Trump administration. He was also a former presidential candidate and well-beloved senator and governor from the state of Kansas. Uh, stay with us. Coming right back. Ready or not, we'll be right back. 
Back to that Kevin show with Kevin McCullough. Welcome back from Times Square in New York. Kevin McCullough, glad to be with you. Having a bit of a serious conversation with former ambassador, senator, and governor Sam Brownback. Uh, Sam has uh, spearheaded uh, much of the awareness raising in just the last couple of days uh, on Capitol Hill regarding the potential Armenian uh, um, atrocity that may be carried out anytime soon by the uh, Azerbaijanese and the concern that the world is largely ignoring this uh, group of people that are under siege and completely cut off from uh, anything that they might need. And uh, Ambassador, we've talked with um, Joel Vanderkamp uh, of um, CSI, and we've we've been we've had some on the ground reports. So my listeners are a little bit more educated than the general public. But the truth is, no one's talked about this uh, in a wide-reaching uh, way. You were before Congress. What is going on on the national and international efforts uh, to address this? I think people are just waking up to it. I think the Christian community international is just becoming aware of it. And I think in the past they looked at it as kind of a he said, she said dispute between Armenia and Azerbaijan. And I think they're starting to see now more of it as a this is a this is an old stranglehold that's being taken again against the Christians uh, that are surrounded by a Muslim country and backed by Erdogan's Turkey that are Islamist. Erdogan is an Islamist that right. heads up Turkey, and he wants this pan-Turkish Muslim recreation of the Neo-Ottoman Empire, and he's doing it. And he's a NATO ally on top of it. And so this is happening with American and Israeli weaponry. And that's where we can come in and really start putting some pressure back that this that that the Western weaponry not be used. Well, so how do we do that? What were, what was the the mood of the committee that you met with, and what was the feedback? Well, the mood's to do something, and there's already a law in place. It's a Section 907 uh, of the Freedom Support Act, and it says in it specifically. If Western weaponry, U.S. weaponry, is being used offensively against Armenia, uh, then sanctions go immediately in place against Azerbaijan, and no more weapons uh, get sold uh, to it from the U.S. And we ought to push that for our allies and people like Israel. This is already in place. All it has to be is the Biden administration sign saying that, that the Section 907 waiver is not being met, the weaponry from the U.S. cannot go any further, no ammunition from us to Azerbaijan because they're using these weapons in an offensive manner against If they're propped up by Russia, though, what difference is that going to make ultimately? We're propped up by Russia. Okay. The Armenians have been thrown under the bus by the Russians. Uh, the Russians now want Turkey's help and support and Azerbaijan. And is that largely because of Ukraine? They're just their resources have been d diminished. Uh, that and um, the Armenians are flirting with democracy. Mm. Uh, and any time in a Russian former Soviet country, they start flirting with democracy. The Russians have this tactic of just freezing them out, saying, OK, you want to try that stuff? Fine. And they put their boot on you any way they can, economically or strategically or militarily. And I think that's what's happening to Armenia. Let's talk about uh, from the perspective of my individual listeners and viewers. Um, we have people that care that are part of this audience. Um, 
I know that Dr. John Eigner's uh, big request every time he's with us is to talk to your pastor about this and start spreading the word through the local church. But what what conceivably could American citizens do? What action steps could we take right now to assist your efforts to get Congress to move? Number one is pray. Lift this up as a matter of prayer. Number two, contact your member of Congress, asking them to put pressure on the administration to enact these 907 sanctions and Magnitsky sanctions against the Azeri leadership. And these are individual targeted sanctions against the leadership in Azerbaijan. And I think we ought to do it on Turkey as well. And also ask your member of Congress to pressure Israel not to send weaponry to Azerbaijan. I think those are tangible things that will make a key difference. And now is of the times of the essence, Kevin, if we put pressure now through the U.S. and our Congress to do this, I think we can head off this. I think the Azeris will back off of this blockade they've got against the 120,000 Christians in Nagorno-Karabakh. But, but it's got to happen now. It's got to happen now. It's yeah. really got it needs to move now or this thing could get desperate pretty fast. Well, let me give a phone number real quick, friends. If you're listening or watching, we'll put it up on the screen as well. 202-224-3121, 202-224-3121. Kev, you have that that phone number memorized. Yes, that's the Capitol switchboard. And from there, you can reach any senator or congressman's office. Ambassador Brownback, please come back and keep us posted on what's going on. Happy to do it. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for raising this. God bless you guys for caring about it. It's important. Absolutely. Coming right back from New York. See you. Ready or not, we'll be right back. That Kevin. Now, back to that Kevin show. Kevin McCullough. Okay, friends, it's uh, it's the weekend, and this has been a very important week. Uh, I, I made an announcement on social media, and I talked about it on the radio show this week. But we had someone come forward this week, and the offices, the the people at the headquarters of Christian Solidarity International, let me know that for our slave liberation campaign for the year of 2023. We've had a very important development. Someone stepped forward this week and said that for the rest of this week and through the end of this weekend, uh, they are going to basically match every slave we can liberate through CSI. Now, if you have been uh, with us in past weeks, you know that we have been targeting uh, slave liberation in the area of Sudan, uh, North, Northern Sudan, Southern Sudan used to be one Sudan. Civil war came, destroyed everything, uh, but uh, the northern Arabs were kidnapping women from the south uh, and dragging them back to the north and making them their slaves uh, pre, pre-war. The civil war was fought partly over that, and when the countries came in and settled the, the war, and the U.S. led the way, and Christian Solidarity International helped facilitate all of that coming together, um, they didn't do anything about the slaves. And there were about 185,000 that were still enslaved in northern Sudan. So the world comes in, divides up the land, says, okay, southern Sudan, that's where the Christians can live. We're going to let you live there unharassed. You won't be bothered. Uh, and the north can be the, the 
possession of where the uh, the Arabs live. Well, the only the only downside to that was that nobody went and took care of the slaves that were already there. And Christian Solidarity International has been doing this for the last 15, almost 20 years now. And because of some of you in years past listening to me, uh, helping me with this, we have liberated close to 3,500 slaves to date. Um, and it's a very simple process, and it's kind of reminiscent of how slavery uh, was ultimately ended here in the U.S. The Civil War was fought, obviously. But you remember the um, the Underground Railroad, uh, people that would um, go into the South and bring people out and get them to freedom, free territory in the North? Well, it's it's just the opposite geographically there, but the same idea. Arabs from the North that want to have good relationships with the farmers in the South have said uh, that they are willing to go in, scout out where slaves may be being held, and then do what they can to bring them back. Uh, when they have affected their their liberation and they they bring them back, then the process is very simple. The slave has a recovery camp that they get to go to uh, for a period of time. They get to uh, recuperate, receive medical attention, tell their story, uh, explain as best they can what's happened to them in years past, explain to the CSI personnel where they're from originally so that they can be reunited with family. Uh, then they are given what's called the bag of hope. And this is what we do, friends, and this is so exciting. The bag of hope is everything that they need to start their life over again. It includes much more than what will fit into one bag, by the way. It includes a year's worth of sorghum grain to eat. So food for a year. Uh, right off the top of the uh, bat, you've, you've, you've taken care of one of their biggest needs, uh, period. Uh, they have uh, tarps and things that will help them uh, protect them from the uh, harsh elements, the heat in the summer and the, the rains in the winter. In addition to that, they get a year's worth of seed that they can use to plant their own sorghum and from there uh, grow food for the coming years in front of them. They're given utensils to garden and fish and clean and, and do things with. Uh, they're given a Bible. They're given blankets uh, to help uh, keep them warm. And uh, at the end of the day, they are given a uh, sh little she-goat that can produce uh goat kids uh, for the future, and that gives them a microenterprise to help support themselves. Once they are given all of those things, which is way more than they've ever received in slavery, they are then uh, helped to relocate back to where their family was originally from. Many of these women were taken when they were young, young, young children. Uh, they've been in captivity for 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, they're in their you know mid-20s to early 30s. They They don't know uh, some of them don't remember much of their childhood. They have a hard time remembering uh, where they were. And for, in some instances, uh, they have been, um, well, in all instances, the women have been raped, brutally, brutally treated while in uh, captivity, in slavery. Uh, but some of them have had children that were born as well. And usually the slave master takes the child from the woman once she weans him. Uh, but in some cases, CSI has been able to negotiate the release of the uh, children as well. And we're starting to see more of them return to their uh, mothers as well, which is a very, very re rewarding thing. It's a very heartwarming thing to know that we're bringing some of those families back together. So here's where you come in. $250 one time provides that sack of hope, that bag of hope, which is everything they need to get started again once they we have them liberated. Uh, but it also provides the cattle vaccine that the slave master trades 
for the slave's life. It's really amazing. It sounds almost impossible to fathom in this day and age, but someone would value a, a, a piece of cattle more than a human being. But that's exactly what the slave masters have, and they can't get this particular vaccine called Nvidium. It helps the cattle survive the harsh weather. Uh, and so they will, for one vaccine, they will re release one slave. Uh, once they are back to the safety of South Sudan, they, there's been zero recidivism. There's no re recapturing of any of these. The uh, agreement that was established by the two sides at the end of the war settled that. But friends, there's about, of the 185,000 that were in captivity at the beginning of the, uh, the war, there are probably close to 30,000 left. And that's because of the diligence of Christian Solidarity International, you and um, other people just like you working together to liberate them. This year, our goal is 192 slaves. We have names on a list of 192 that can be released, but we cannot guarantee that they can be relocated if we don't have their bag of hope spoken for. And that's where we need you to help us. Will you liberate one slave tonight? If you do, here's the big news there is another listener that is going to match that. So for every slave we can we can liberate right now, this evening, someone else is coming alongside and saying, I will do the same thing person for person. So if we have 40 people go to the phone right now, 888-342-1010, and each one of them liberated one slave, this other matching donor would do 40 slaves in one gift. We are at 72. We need 192. That's 120 that are left. Will you help us? 888-342-1010. 888-342-1010. We'll be right back. That Kevin. Serving it up with a no-drink minimum. It's that Kevin show. Ladies and gentlemen, she was the 2022 K-Love Female Artist of the Year. And here with a touching brand new song in the spotlight, it's Ann Wilson. My friends, they know I won't if they call me one day a year. And that one day is here. My tears just like a summer rain are falling. It's just what they do when I start missing you. Why'd you have to go? Why'd I have to stay? When's it gonna get easier to make it through the day? I go out walking, I ain't much for talking, just Like you and God are watching Are you looking down? 
story about losing her brother, her dear brother, uh, here in the music spotlight, the newest from Ann Wilson, Kevin McCullough, hour two, straight ahead. Hey, get the soundtrack. Search hashtag new music spotlight on Spotify or Apple Music. 